Focus on Headline. All right, we're going to find out what's happening and what are some of the top headlines in the news today. And for this, joining us by herself in the studio, our super sub. Might as well just call her a, call her a regular here on Korea Now. Uh, Yoon Seung joins us in the studio. Seung, it's good to see you again. Good evening, SJ. My great pleasure to be here again. Yeah, it's and you know what? <laughs> it's, it's always lovely to see you in the studio. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, usually we have uh, two... Uh, yeah, I feel quite roomy today. Yeah, I mean, uh, <laughs> it's it's uh, it's it's different. Uh, but what are we gonna do, right? Uh, mm-hmm. it's, uh, Just you, know, you and me. Yeah, that's right. But uh, <laughs> we are, of course, also gonna be gonna, gonna be connecting with an expert on the program. So. Sure. Uh, we are definitely not going to be just alone. Uh, nevertheless, uh, Sam, let's start off with this uh, visit by Nancy Pelosi that's mm-hmm. been in the headlines all week this week. Uh, she has visited South Korea as well as part of this very high-profile tour of Asia, finishing her schedule in Seoul. Uh, left for Japan yesterday, but before heading to Japan, Pelosi once again stressing the strong uh, Seoul-Washington alliance. So uh, tell us more about this. Right. Um, wrapping her two-day visit to Seoul, Nancy Pelosi reaffirmed the strong bond between Seoul and Washington in a release statement. And like briefly mentioned yesterday, she emphasized three main pillars of the two countries' treasure ties, which include security and stability, economic growth, and democratic governance. And what grabbed many people's attention was her visit to the inter-Korean truth village of Panmunjeong JSA inside the demilitarized zone. And it shows where she places special emphasis on among the three main pillars she repeated several times. Because yesterday, you also briefly mentioned this, President Biden visited Samsung Semiconductor, mm-hmm. planned on first trip to Seoul, and Treasury Secretary Yellen visited Elgeberry facility when she was in South Korea. But Pelosi was different. Her visit to DMZ shows she puts more emphasis on security, stability, and peace when it comes to bilateral relations. And Pelosi also posted photos of her visit to the DMZ on her official social network accounts, delivering her gratitude for the patriotic service of U.S. service members. And she also praised U.S. and South Korean troops for standing as sentinels of democracy on the Korean Peninsula. Nancy Pelosi, who had a phone call with South Korean President Yoon Suk-yeol instead of face-to-face meeting, also met with Speaker Kim Jin-pyo of the National Assembly ahead of the phone conversation with Yoon and reaffirmed their commitment to the denuclearization of North Korea as well. But uh, they reportedly did not discuss issues related to China or Taiwan during her visit to Seoul amid heightened tension between the U.S. and China. That's right. As we uh, mentioned uh, all throughout this week, uh, this visit by U.S. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi was in the spotlight here. Uh, We're going to take a look at her visit to South Korea and, of course, her Asia tour thus far with uh, Professor Kim Jae-chan. He is the Dean of Sogang Graduate School of International Studies, who joins us on the line here. Professor Kim, thank you very much for joining us this evening. For having me. So uh, let's start things off. Uh, Nancy Pelosi, she was in uh, South Korea on this uh, two-day visit. Uh, President Yoon suk was on his uh, summer vacation. So instead of this face-to-face meeting, uh, what they did was they spoke over the phone for about uh, 40 minutes uh, yesterday. Uh, Professor Kim, what's the significance of the phone call here? Uh, because the, the phone call did happen right after Pelosi's visit to Taiwan. Would you say this was a strategic move on behalf of Yoon because... Some might say, well, Yoon avoiding a face-to-face talk was so that he probably wouldn't want to upset China. Yes. Uh, I I think uh, we have to understand that 
Speaker Pelosi came to South Korea after a very controversial visit to Taiwan. And there was a, a great speculation, great deal of speculation with the President uh, Yoon would uh, meet Pelosi. Under the normal circumstances, Pelosi would have paid a visit to the presidential office and uh, President Yoon would have met her. Uh, but as you said, uh, President Yoon was on vacation. So there was a debate whether uh, President Yoon should uh, spend some of his uh, vacation time and, and meet uh, Pelosi. Uh, eventually, President Yoon decided to have a a phone conversation instead uh, of uh, meeting Pelosi and other delegates. I, I think it was a compromise, uh, you know, a compromise decision between meeting her in person and not meeting her at all. And uh, circumstantial evidence suggests that, that Yoon and the uh, presidential office really agonized over this decision. As you said, the tension is that it's the height between the U.S. and China over the uh, Taiwan Strait, and Yoon government uh, believes that South Korea is once again placed in a uh, very difficult position here. So you use your uh, vacation time, and then Pelosi uh, is not going to be well-received by Chinese. Right. But if you ignore Pelosi uh, completely, it's going to impart a wrong message to the United States. So uh, talking to Pelosi over the phone, I think, was a compromise and strategic decision as uh, you, you uh, indicated. All right, Professor, um, there was a bit of ruckus online relating to Speaker Pelosi's arrival and diplomatic courtesy. When she landed at the Ulsan Air Base, there was no South Korean government official to greet her and her delegation. And although it turns out that our National Assembly office and Pelosi's people had agreed to forego an official welcome greeting upon her arrival, but still many people are questioning about mm-hmm. Seoul's decision. Uh, Professor Kim, how are top government officials' arrivals normally handled and more importantly, how will the U.S. interpret the lack of South Korean government officials at Pelosi's arrival? Well, normally, if the Speaker of the Congress from, from foreign countries come to Korea, I mean, comes visit uh, foreign countries as an official uh, visit, uh, it is, I think, uh, it is customary uh, for Speaker of the host country to greet him or uh, greet her in, in Pelosi's case. And if the speaker of the host country is not available, at least vice president, I'm sorry, a vice speaker will have to go to the uh, airport to welcome the uh, foreign speaker. Uh, In case of Pelosi's visit this time, it is reported that the U.S. notifies South Korea that there is no need for South Korean counterpart to come to the airport. So we, we can say that there was mutual understanding that there is not going to be an official reception at the airport. But that said, I still believe that it was more proper for South Korean counterpart to go to the airport for a uh, proper reception. You know, there is a saying that 50% of diplomacy is about, you know, styles and, and informalities. So uh, for Pelosi to arrive in Osan airport without proper reception didn't really look good to me. I, I, I'm not really sure whether the U.S thought of this as a breach of diplomatic etiquette, but, you know, optics matter. And uh, she was very much welcomed uh, when she arrived in Taiwan, but uh, somehow 
feels that she didn't really get proper uh, welcome and reception in South Korea. Well, it's kind of like I think uh, some pundits were saying uh, is South Korea being very cautious over China, right? If there was like an Mm -hmm. official reception, then how is uh, China going to kind of, uh, you know, accept that? And how is uh, China going to respond to that, uh, to that meeting? But uh, honestly, from the very start, I don't think there was a problem with Pelosi visiting South Korea. Uh, at mm-hmm. all. But the big problem was, of course, Pelosi's visit to Taiwan, uh, mm-hmm. which fueled massive tensions with China, uh, mm-hmm. raised security concerns in the region. I do understand that Taiwan, they had uh, air raid mm-hmm. drills happening. I know China launched military exercises, 11 missiles mm-hmm. being fired mm-hmm. uh, above, uh, I believe, uh, the Taiwan Strait. Uh, they, in the past, I mean, they called it a regular military drill, but obviously, you know, we could say that uh, this is a response to Pelosi's mm-hmm. visit to Taiwan here. Uh, what are the chances of a direct U.S.-China conflict? Because now this is uh, on the table. It does seem like it is quite possible in the near future. Mm-hmm. But eventually, I, I think the U.S. and China will exercise restraint, uh, but still there is a possibility of Escalation, accidental war, if you will. It is true that neither country wants military showdown at this stage. It is also true that Taiwan is its fundamental interest to, to China, and China will do virtually everything to stop Taiwan from declaring independence. But uh, for one thing, uh, Taiwan is not going to declare independence anytime soon. And, and China prefers stability to commotion because there is going to be an important party assembly in coming November to re-elect uh, Xi Jinping uh, as the president of China for his third term. And China's economy is not in good shape. And there are side effects of zero COVID policy. Sure, uh, Xi Jinping will be tough on Taiwan, and that's in his interests. But if things spin out of the control, it could adversely affect Xi Jinping's political foothold. I think the same goes to the United States and, and President Biden. As well, the U.S. now is plagued with high inflation, high interest rates, and also there is November midterm election. So it'll be tough on China. But if you can, I mean, you can't really afford another major military conflict in Asia, particularly when you have war in Ukraine. So right. both countries, I, I don't, I don't think they want this conflict to spin out of the control, but since there is no candid strategic dialogue between the two countries and since there is no guardrail between the two countries, things could uh, slip out of the control and escalate. So, uh, yes, there is a possibility of accidental war, although that possibility is low. All right. Um, flights have been canceled or rerouted over China's military drills near Taiwan. And China has already imposed economic and military pressure on Taiwan in retaliation for hosting of Speaker Pelosi's visit. Well, um, um, Professor, how do you think the U.S. will respond to China's military and economic pressures against Taiwan? I, I think the U.S. will stay the course. Uh, which basically means that the U.S. will do uh, what they have been doing, and that is reiterating strong U.S. security commitment to Taiwan, uh, increasing arms sales and military assistance to to Taiwan. And at the same time, the U.S. uh, will increase the military preparedness near the Taiwan Strait. You know, one interesting thing is that China is not retaliating against the United States. You know, when it was the United States that decided Pelosi's visit to Taiwan. Right. 
Uh, instead, China is retaliating against Taiwan, and it's typical Chinese behavior. You know, China goes after weaker countries. Unfortunately, uh, the U.S. is not going to retaliate against China on behalf of Taiwan. Rather, I, I think the U.S. will strengthen this unified front against China, unified front uh, between liberal-minded countries in the form of uh, Indo-Pacific Economic Framework, Chief for Alliance, and also pods and, and AUKUS and other existing measures. And I think uh, that's how the U.S. is going to respond. You know, uh, speaking of uh, the Chip 4 alliance, uh, I mean, I, I think this is going to be like the big issue now for South Korea because so far, I think South Korea has been doing a good job in balancing their relations between uh, Washington and Beijing so far. And I think that's only because there was no real pressure from Washington just yet. But now you have this real pressure, right? Uh, whether or not South Korea is going to be joining the CHIP 4, I mean, the U.S. basically said, you're going to make this decision by the uh, the end of this month. But, you know, China also pressuring Korea, declaring the three no's, right? The no additional THAAD deployment, no participation in U.S. missile defense network, and no establishment of a trilateral military allowance. Uh, there's no mentioning of like a no semiconductor alliance, but still, I mean, China is certainly not going to like this. Uh, no. Professor Kim, any advice on how South Korea should navigate this uh, very complicated and uh, delicate uh, position that South Korea is currently in? Uh, I, I think uh, I think we'll have to place our foreign policy choice in a bigger picture here. And that big picture is this bifurcation of the international order that is taking place. I mean, decoupling between the U.S. and China. Uh, I, I don't mean that there is going to be a complete decoupling between the United States and China. Uh, I think the U.S. and China will continuously trade with each other. But what we will be witnessing uh, in coming years is decoupling between the two countries in some of the key strategic industries, such as the semiconductor industry, lithium batteries industry, uh, 5G and AI, and uh, information and communication technology. You know, in, in past 30 years, you know, 30 years of globalization, identity of countries didn't really matter. Democratic countries and also autocratic countries all participated in, in global supply chain. And unfortunately, uh, those days are gone now because there is no strategic trust between leading democratic countries and leading autocratic countries. So now we are living in this era of economic security, in which case South Korea has no option but to strengthen our strategic relationship with other like-minded countries, such as the United States, uh, Japan, Australia, other European democracies, and, 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 and with Taiwan to a certain extent. But that said, China still is our uh, geopolitical reality. Right. And also geoeconomic reality, which means that uh, China still is our biggest trading partner. So or I can say uh, is that uh, we need a very, very creative foreign policy uh, <laughs> to minimize the setbacks of our uh, foreign policy choices. You know, uh, Professor, it's really interesting because no one seems to really have a clear-cut answer to this mm -hmm. because, I mean, how, how do you have an answer to something that's uh, so complicated as this, right? The, the, the balancing, I think, it's, it's, it's again, it's up to the UN administration what they're going to be doing. I think this Chip 4 Alliance is going to be the very first task at hand here. Uh, Professor Kim, thank you very much for connecting with us and giving us your insights on some of these issues. Please stay safe and uh, looking forward to talking to you again. 
Well, thank you for having me. All right. Thanks. That was uh, Professor Kim Jae-chun, the Dean of Sagang Graduate School of International Studies. Uh, say, I mean, this... I mean, all the stuff that's happening right now in the Asia-Pacific region, right? Yes, yes. It would be almost unfair to ask you, what Mm -hmm. should South Korea (laughs) do? Because I I think Uh your answer would be like every other answer. I mean, how do you balance this, right? To maintain the balance between the U.S. and China is really difficult. And at first, when I heard that President Yoon decided not to have a face-to-face meeting with Pelosi, I thought that was quite unexpected, surprising decision, because um, thinking of his previous stance towards the U.S. But after I heard about um, maybe the U.N. administration is now trying to maintain the balance between U.S. and China, and it does not want to upset China yeah, no, because, even more. And, um, yeah. Well, I mean, what's interesting is because uh, during his campaign pledge, he mm-hmm. did come out like a China hawk, right? Yes. Uh, it seemed like he was uh-huh. going to be very hawkish against China. It was going to be very dovish with the United uh-huh. States. But I think he realized that, I mean, yes, it's, it's much more complicated. The, yes, uh, no, it's time to improve the relations with China as well. It's and, it's very complicated. Uh-huh. You, can't, you can't just cut ties with yes, China. But the good, thi- right. good thing was, mm-hmm. is, you know, despite all this, now South Korea is a very different country compared mm-hmm. to what they were, like, let's say, 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think China, 10 years ago, if, if South Korea decided they wanted to cut ties or something, they would say, all right, go ahead. Yeah. Uh, we're just not going to trade with you anymore. We're not going to send any uh, tourists anymore. But mm-hmm. now South Korea is a big um, mm-hmm. Player in the in the market That's these days, right. the world market, uh-huh. especially because of these semiconductors, uh-huh. uh, and so China has been kind of like, listen, I mean, we we need to improve our bilateral ties, mm-hmm. and so I think because of this, now the you know, again, I mean, I think it's up to the the whole chip four thing. If if <laughs> you know the UN administration decides they're going to join chip four, uh-huh. I think that's basically a message to China saying, all right, you know what. We had to pick sides. But we already joined the IFPAF and went to the NATO summit. And those, yeah, but then yeah, with those the, even also signal no because yeah. even with the IPEF uh, mm-hmm. joining the IPEF, which mm-hmm. uh, China was very upset about, South Korea still said, "Listen, we're still part of RCEP, which uh-huh. is a China-led yes, uh, economic cooperation." Mm-hmm. So he said, "No, th- that has nothing to do with us being against you, China." But this, Chip I mean, for his whole definition. Yeah, which is why I mean they didn't even join the Quad, right? Yeah. There was speculations whether or not South Korea was going to join the Quad as a working outside working group. Mm-hmm. That didn't happen because I think the UN administration is being very careful. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this Chip Four again deadline by the end of this month. I mean, th- this is going to be what's going to call the shots right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, Don Pack says, I don't like the idea that no Korea government officers greeted Pelosi when she arrived at Osan Airport. But again, I mean, I, I think it was a strategic thing. Uh-huh. Uh, with uh, Like you said, with Yoon seok uh, not meeting Pelosi, it was uh-huh. a strategic thing. It might have been uh-huh. a good thing yes. uh, on the long run. So Don Pack also says, we need to strengthen our own military power. Uh, I mean, I mean, it, it's gone stronger. Uh, mm-hmm. Definitely gone stronger, much better weapons and but so forth. And, uh, in terms of like sending no one to the Osan airbase on upon the Pelosi's arrival, I kind of agree with the Professor Kim because I think South Korea could have made a better decision. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. the argument is that I don't think mm-hmm. China would have been upset. I don't think they'll be upset that Pelosi's visiting uh-huh. South Korea. Yeah, right? I mean that's that's like saying if like Biden came to South Korea, uh-huh. is China going to be upset? No, they they weren't. Mm-hmm. So Pelosi coming to South Korea, absolutely, there was no problem with this. Mm-hmm. I think it was different with Taiwan. Mm-hmm. So I think maybe then sending an officer, mm-hmm. maybe you know, some people can argue. Okay, is, was South Korea being too careful uh-huh. yes. uh, and trying not to, uh-huh. you know, upset China because mm-hmm. of all, all, you know things? They're kind of really sensitive right now because of the whole Taiwan thing. That's but right. uh, 
end Very of the month, chip four, that's going to be the big <laughs> one here. Uh, in the meantime, we did mention this yesterday, but it was just breaking news. We were just getting news, uh, so we didn't have a whole lot of information in regards to this. You're going to be covering this for Minister Park Jin and his Japanese counterpart, Yoshimasa Hayashi, meeting over in Cambodia on Thursday on the sidelines of the ASEAN Foreign Ministers meeting. Uh, their one-on-one -on -one talk again coming less than three weeks after their talks in Tokyo last month. Uh, what were the main topics on the agenda this time around? Uh, Foreign Minister Park Jin and his counterpart Yoshimasa Hayashi Thursday had a bilateral talk for about 35 minutes in Phnom Penh. And like you said, it is already thir uh, their second meeting in less than three weeks, and including the non-official meeting that took place previously. It is their fourth time having a face-to-face -face meeting. And it reflects the efforts of Yoon administration which has repeatedly emphasized the importance of improving ties with Japan. And after their 35-minute long talks, Park told reporters that the two touched upon the pending issues and agreed to further accelerate negotiation in an effort to find a reasonable solution to those pending issues, mostly historical issues, right, right. and improve their ties. Well, uh, Park's press briefing sounds similar to his previous briefing after the face-to-face -face meeting with his Japanese counterpart, and that is is because the two sides are still looking for a way to resolve sensitive historical issues, particularly uh, the compensation issue for victims of wartime forced labor. And going back to their previous meeting that took place in Tokyo in July, uh, the main focus was on the liquidation issue following the Korean Supreme Court's ruling regarding compensation for victims of forced labor during the Japanese colonial period. And two agreed on a swift settlement, but so far no major breakthrough has been made. And the two sides, especially Seoul, continues to push for one-on-one -on -one meetings to draw a reasonable solution that meets interests of both sides. And this is to move on and to focus more on improving bilateral relations and other issues as well. But despite South Korea's efforts, um, the situation is not easy both at home and abroad because Tokyo has been maintaining its firm position saying that the forced labor issue was completely resolved through the 1965 Treaty on Basic Relations. And taking a look at the situation at home, it is not positive as well because South Korea has launched a government-private council with the aim of seeking solutions that people can agree on for forced labor issue by hearing out the voices of the victims and their families before the top court issue a final order to liquidate the assets of the Japanese firms for compensation. But apparently it is not working smoothly because as the victims and their families refuse to participate in the meeting, arguing that the government is not representing the victim's side. And the meeting between the, uh, between the two, Park and his Japanese counterpart is expected to continue as they face diplomatic difficulties regarding this very sensitive issue. Yeah, mm -hmm. unless uh, this historic issue is resolved, I mm -hmm. don't think uh, the bilateral ties Hard between South on. Korea and Japan yes. uh, will fully heal. But uh, mm -hmm. again, it, it's I think the most important thing is uh, getting what the victims want, right? Mm -hmm. It's not what the government wants, because we had a problem with that back mm -hmm. in 2015 with the, uh, the so-called comfort women uh, issue there. Right. Uh, also at Thursday's meeting, Park and Hayashi also uh, reportedly discussed trilateral cooperation with the U.S. amid North Korea's continued nuclear threat. So tell us more about this. Yes, the two agreed to step up their trilateral relationship between um, South Korea, the U.S. and Japan in response to the rising nuclear threats of North Korea. And taking a look at other issues they discussed, Park pointed out Japan's prolonged export restrictions against South Korea. And Park also brought up the contaminated water issues 
amid growing concern over Japan's recent approval of the release of contaminated water from the Fukushima nuclear power plant. Yeah, that's the other Very thing. concerning. Yeah, that's right? the other thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the meantime, Foreign Minister Park Jin also set to visit China next week for talks with his uh, Chinese counterpart Wang Yi. Tell us more about this. Yeah, Park will be leaving for Qingdao, uh, China on Monday for his bilateral meeting with senior Chinese diplomat Wang Yi, which is set to take place on Thursday. And although the officials did not provide the details, uh, what's known so far is uh, they plan to discuss mutual interests, including their bilateral relations, as well as regional and global affairs. Uh, well, Park's visit is very significant because this is the first time 40 Minister Park visiting China since taking office. And the trip has been coordinated upon an invitation from the Chinese Foreign Minister. And I believe it signals Beijing's willingness to improve its relations with Seoul amid escalating tensions between the U.S. and China. And plus, while joining IPAF and being urged by the U.S. to join Chief 4, and not to mention the controversy over three notes policy on thought, South Korea still has to seek for balance between U.S. and China as the cooperation with China is still crucial to South Korean economy. So the meeting between Park Jin and Wang Yi will be very important in paving the way for Seoul's future foreign policy between Washington and Beijing and setting the tone for overall Seoul-Beijing ties in the coming years. On top of that, South Korean foreign ministry said uh, Park's visit will allow them to have another face-to-face meeting since they had one on the sidelines of G20 summit last month, and it will be an opportunity to look back on the meaning of the 30th anniversary of diplomatic relations between Korea and China, which falls on August 24th. Yeah, see, like I said, I mean, uh, I think any other year uh, Mm -hmm. previously, like maybe about uh, five years ago, if South Korea decides they're going to lean more towards uh, the United States, I think China would have just said, you know what, forget about it. Mm -hmm. Uh, We don't want to deal with you guys. More boycott for you guys. But, I mean, look at this. I mean, they're, they're, they're invited Pak Jin over to China. They're all mm-hmm. going to hold talks. And, yes. uh, you know, we saw during the UN inauguration that mm-hmm. uh, they sent their vice president uh, yes. to South Korea for the inauguration. So, now we're in a different position and we have this power to use in uh, diplomatic issues. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So China really mm-hmm. doesn't want to let go of South Korea, I think, which is good, but with, uh, which also puts South Korea in a tougher Very, situation <laughs> yes. even more, right? Uh-huh. Uh who do you choose like between the two lovers is what it seems like right now. Uh, another high-level official meeting is ahead as well. This time, National Assembly Speaker Kim Jin-pyo, who, uh, by the way, had uh, talks with Pelosi yesterday, uh, left for an official visit to Poland and Romania on this Friday evening. So tell us more about this. Yes, um, National Assembly Speaker Kim Jin-pyo departed for Poland and Romania this morning. And this is his first overseas trip since taking office early last month. And during his trip, he is expected to focus on arms sales and economic cooperation. Kim is scheduled to visit Poland first on Friday to meet with Elzbiet Dawitak, the Speaker of the Lower House of the Polish Parliament. And the main focus of their meeting will be South Korea's recent arms export to Poland. South Korea and Poland last month signed a framework agreement worth an estimated 20 trillion won or 15.3 billion US dollars as South Korea agreed to sell nearly 1,000 K-2 main battle tanks to Poland with 648 self-propelled howitzers and 48 F-A-50 fighter jets. And speaking of arms sales, South Korea is indeed boosting its arms sales by increasing overseas sales of military gear. Besides Poland, early this year, South Korea also signed 1.6 billion arms deals uh, with 
billion arms deals with Egypt and this week taking part in a joint flight with its Egyptian Air Force air demonstration team. South Korea's air display team, the Black Eagles, took part in the Pyramids Air Show in Egypt, um, becoming the first foreign demonstration team to fly over the ancient pyramids. So eyes are on uh, whether further arms sales or military cooperation will be discussed this time again. And Kim will then visit Romania on Sunday for meetings with the country's ministers of energy, education and culture. And they are expected to discuss ways to further deepen relations between the two countries. And other topics on the, on the agenda will include modernizing Romania's nuclear power plants in a collaboration with South Korean business. And Kim is also expected to call for Romania's support for South Korea's bid to host the 2030 World Expo, plus offers to build peace on the Korean Peninsula. All right, uh, we're going to round things out mm-hmm. with uh, something that we've also been uh, keeping a close eye on. Uh, we're talking about Tanuri, right? Mm-hmm. South Korea's first home-developed lunar orbiter. Uh, it's called KPLO, uh, a.k.a. Tanuri. Uh, with this now, uh, it is it was a successful launch, by the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, South Korea became the seventh country in the world to be able to launch a mission to the moon. So let's get the details of this. Sure. South Korea launched its first moon mission, Tanuri, on Friday as it took off from Florida's Cape Canaveral Space Force Station abroad as SpaceX rocket. And this afternoon at 2 p.m., uh, it has successfully entered its designated trajectory. And if Tanuri successfully lands in the target orbit by the end of this year, South Korea will be the seventh country in the world to join the space race following China, India, Japan, Russia, the U.K. and the U.S. And Tanuri will travel out of orbit and up to 1.56 million kilometers before returning to orbit around the moon, uh, making a shape of ribbon. For that reason, it is expected to take about five months, uh, more exactly four and a half months for Tanuri to travel the space. So it's not going to go directly to the moon, but it's going to make the ribbon shape. Yeah. And then historical moment, it's very historical moment to witness um, because South Korea is about to become a country to carry out lunar probe mission with its own technology. Yeah, so mm-hmm. I mean, the, the reason why it's like a ribbon or a butterfly shape uh-huh. is because they slingshot it. Yes. Uh, and they move it. And so by the time it hits like the proper, like the exact location that they want is like a hundred kilometers from mm-hmm. the moon or something like that above the moon and so it, it does take a lot of time uh, it's not that it's not fast or anything like that but uh, uh it is a still a very successful one uh don pack says good thing is korea is one of the big armed exporters in the world well i, I wouldn't say big just yet but mm-hmm. they're getting there they're yeah, definitely stopping off yeah and this uh-huh. was one of the uh, the big things that south korea even with the previous administration that they yes. really wanted to do so they've mm-hmm. been getting a lot of these uh, different projects in and different uh Deals in with uh, different countries out there, so it's not like it's cheap and it's bad quality. It's it's mm-hmm. cheaper and uh, really oh. good quality, which yes, is why right. everyone wants to buy this, right? <laughs> Promoting. So, yep, Seung, uh, thank you very much for joining us today. Uh-huh. Uh, and it was tough to cover all this on your own, but it was a uh, <laughs> nevertheless was it was it was good stuff. Great report, great insights on some of these issues. Please stay safe, and uh, we'll hopefully see you next week. I believe. See you later. You can listen to Korea Now with me, SJ Lee, by downloading the Arirang Radio application or tune in online by visiting www.arirangradio.com. So make sure you tune in Mondays through Fridays, 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. Korea time.